to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it is the third book in the New Testament, second half of your Bible. Really easy to find. Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 1 this morning. Praise God. I am what it says I am. I am who he says I am. That was the song we were singing earlier today. I like to sing that song not just in my own voice, but in my son Caleb's voice. Uh, Caleb, he's only four months old, and he doesn't really have uh, a voice that I can understand right now. Uh, he sounds a bit more like someone from Jurassic Park right now. But the fact is that you know I kind of give him a, a, a little voice of my own uh, just to make him uh, feel like I can kind of talk to him a little bit more. It's kind of a raspy voice. And sometimes I'll use Caleb's voice to sing that song. Like I'll go, like, I am chosen, not for sin. I am who you say I am. Right? And it's just one of those ways of just reminding myself is that when you know who you are according to God's word, you become secure in your life. Amen? You have confidence. You've got hope of the future. Uh, and so we are really glad that we're going through a series right now at Thrive. It is called A Luke at Christmas. Everyone say A Luke at Christmas. This is the cheesiest sermon title we've ever used for any season of our time as a church together. And uh, the reason why it's cheesy is because hopefully it's an easy-to-remember kind of series name. We kicked off the series uh, last week, and what we're doing in this series is we're looking at Christmas together from the perspective of a guy called Luke. Luke, uh, he, his, he is one of the four writers of the Gospels, and we're going to be looking at his Gospel during this series. It's because you're going to find that one of the most powerful, the most detailed, the most thorough, the most important accounts of the Christmas story is right in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you really want to understand the meaning of Christmas, you cannot miss the Gospel of Luke. And you're going to find, and I hope you'll find even today, that as we get into the Gospel of Luke, that not only are you going to understand a little bit more of the Christmas story, but you're going to learn some things that are going to help you not just at Christmas time, but all throughout the year. If you believe that, say amen. Do I have a proactive church in this place this morning? 9.30 service, you guys ready to take some good notes? You're ready to get into God's word, not afraid to say amen? Everyone say amen. Amen. When you say amen, even before the pastor says amen, it, you, you, get, you take ownership of what we're talking about this morning. And so I encourage you to be proactive today. Turn to your neighbor and say, be proactive today. Praise God. You help us so much when you're proactive. You help me so much when you're proactive. And so let's be proactive together. You know, today I want to begin by telling you the, the theme or the title of the message this morning. Uh, and I want to begin by telling you something that I do at home. See, uh, you know, when we are at home and I am, you know, maybe changing my four-month-old son Caleb's diaper, uh, you know, I'll put, you know, new clothes on him. And I'll, I'll do this, you know, pretty much every day. I'll bring him down in my arms. And maybe some people are eating downstairs. And I'll always kind of carry him in, and I'll go, hello, everyone. Hello. And I'm kind of announcing his arrival. Do you guys have a way of announcing your arrival at home? Maybe just a, you know, it's a, hey, good morning, or it's a, it's a you know, it's one of those, you know, cool nods, you know, that kind of thing. But, but the fact is that we have this thing with Caleb. I'll be like, hello, everyone. And I'll use his voice or my pretend voice for him. Why am I talking about that today? It's today we're talking about one of the most, if not the most important announcement that was ever made to any one individual in human history. And that one individual, her name is Mary. Everyone say Mary. And the announcement being given to this girl called Mary is that she's going to be giving birth to a son and calling him Jesus. Not only would her life never be the same after this announcement, the world would never be the same after this announcement. Today we're going to be looking closely at this announcement, how it was made, why it was made, and how Mary responds to that announcement. And in the process, we're going to learn something very powerful about what faith 
is. See, if you're someone today who struggles in the area of faith, when you, if you struggle with having faith in God, if you don't have as strong as a faith as you'd like, maybe you're losing faith in your marriage, maybe you're losing hope about your future, then this, mar- this, this message is for you this morning. This message is called, Hello, Favored One. Could you tell your neighbor and give them a fist bump and say, Hello, Favored One. You could even say it in Kayla's voice, Hello, Favored One. We're going to be looking at, you guys actually did that. Wow, you guys are a weird church. Praise God. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 26 together. Would you help me preach in this place? We're going to read this to these 12 verses big and loud and strong because this is God's word we're reading. Let's read in a big, loud voice together. One, two, three, it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Keep on going. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Keep on going. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Keep on going. Last thing it says, For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Would you turn neighbor and say, nothing is impossible with God? What is going on in this passage? See, to understand this passage, you need to understand something, which is that for centuries, the Jewish people have been waiting for a very special person to come. They called that person the Messiah. And this Messiah would be this king who would rise up from his own people to save and deliver them from bondage. And so when you read the Hebrew scriptures, when the Jew, if you were a Jew back in Mary's time and you were reading the Hebrew scriptures, you would have learned of all these different prophecies that, the, that, the, that, that, that your Bible would have spoken of, of this Messiah that is to come. How this Messiah would be a descendant of King David. How this Messiah would be born of a virgin. How this Messiah would somehow be human and yet divine at the same time. How this Messiah would suffer and die, not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. How this Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and how this Messiah would one day rise to life again. All of that is predicted in the Old Testament. And see, many people back then naturally expected, given the status of this, of this Messiah, that this Messiah would probably be born into a very rich, prosperous, royal, well-known family, probably in the capital city of Jerusalem, but see, instead, what happens in this passage is God sends his angel Gabriel to one of the smallest, most unknown towns in all of Israel. Go back to verse 26. Would you read it with me? Verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town 
in Galilee. See, the fact that Luke, who's writing this gospel, is saying to Theophilus, the guy that he's writing to, who's wondering about Christianity, the fact that he has to say he went to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, shows that most people don't know where Nazareth is. They're like, Nazareth? What's that? Where's that? Nazareth was a town in Galilee, and it was not like Richmond. Richmond, uh, you know, is a prosperous city. Nazareth was not. Nazareth was not a city of crazy rich Asians, okay? And I can say that because I am crazy, well, not crazy rich, but I'm a crazy Asian, and I can say that. And the fact is this, is that Nazareth was a poor town. It was a small town. It was maybe 40, 50, maybe less than 100 people. there, And it was not known as a place of economic prosperity. It wasn't known as a place where you would go to advance your career. It wasn't known as a place where you would send your kids to get a good education, because it was a tiny, unknown town. In fact, once when Jesus was kind of assembling his first disciples, there was one guy called Nathaniel who was thinking about following Jesus. But when he found out that Jesus from the town of Nazareth, he's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's how unknown and unsung this town of Nazareth was. And despite that, despite all that was unknown and unsung and poor and small and, and just kind of looked down upon about Nazareth, God sends his angel to Nazareth because it shows you God is not limited by our background. God is not limited by your geography. God is not limited by your situation. God can show up in even the most unlikely of places in your life or in my life or in Mary's life as well. If you believe that, say amen. And that's what he does here. He sends his angel Gabriel to a girl in Nazareth to make history's most important announcement. Would you look at verse 27? Would you read it with me in a big, loud voice? Who does he send this announcement to? It's to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right. Well, we've got to understand this. Back in Mary and Joseph's time, engagement didn't quite work the way it does today. See, today, engagement is very, very simple. You know, will you make me the happiest man in the world and marry me? <gasps> yes! And then, and then and you, and you maybe have, you plan the wedding, and, and if things for some reason along the way don't work out, and you decide, okay, we're not going to get married, it's sad. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, but there's nothing legal about it. There's no legal implications there. You just kind of move on your own separate ways. That's not how it worked back in Mary and Joseph's time. You've got to understand that back in Mary and Joseph's time in ancient Jewish culture, engagement was very legal. Is that what happened was that when a man and a woman pledged to be married to one another, they would have a period of about one year where there was an agreement between their two families. One family, which is the, the, the man's family, would pay a sum of money to the bride's family. And for a period of one year, they would live apart. They would not sleep together. They would not live together, but they would call each other husband and wife. Until the day when they got married, that's when they would live together. When they have a wedding, that's when they would live together. And if they, you know, if they end up having you know, an affair with someone else in the meantime, it was adultery. If they wanted to separate, it was a divorce. You required a certificate for that. It was very, very legal. Mary and Joseph, they are in the middle of this pledged engagement period. And it's an awkward time for both of them. And it's in this transition period that God appears to Mary. How many of us know that God loves to appear to you in transition times. In those times when things are a bit awkward, things are a bit uncertain, God loves to appear in those times, and that's what he does for Mary. Look at verse 28. Would you read with me? Verse 28 says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. See, stop right there. See, the angel appears before Mary and goes, hello, favored one. 
And then Mary, what does Mary do? Mary is troubled at his words. Don't you find it interesting? Is that Mary is troubled not at the appearance of an angel, but she's troubled by the words that the angel is speaking. Almost like, oh, it's no big deal that there's an angel here, but whoa, the words he's speaking, what is he going to say? See, what, what, why is that? Is it because, you know, Mary was used to seeing angels? Is that why? Probably not. See, I think a reason why is because when you read the Bible, you'll find that when angels, and the Bible does talk about angels, and we believe in angels, but see, when the Bible says that angels appear to people, very often, those angels do not appear in all of their heavenly glory with all these lights and a golden sash, and, and they're just kind of in robes and, and a halo around their head. And go, it's, it's usually not that way. Usually, when angels would appear to people in the Old Testament and also in the New, sometimes it would be something where they would appear as just normal people to the point where the person who's meeting this angel doesn't even realize it's an angel until after the person's gone. And they're like, oh, oh my goodness, I was, I was actually, that was an angel. I just saw an angel. I was just touched by an angel. And they didn't realize at the time, and it was only afterwards that they realized it. This could very well be what's happening with Mary, is that Mary might not even known at that moment, oh, I'm talking to the angel, the archangel Gabriel. I, I, I'm, I'm talking to, no, she probably might not even known, but she was troubled by the fact that there is a man who she's not married to, who's talking to her in a private conversation, something that people didn't do back in ancient Jewish culture, and she's like, what does he want with me? And see, look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Everyone say favor. Verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means he saves or he delivers. Notice that Jesus, he is the Savior. He's the deliverer. His name matches his destiny. Look at verse 32. It says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. See, in other words, what is this angel saying? This angel Gabriel is telling Mary, hey, Mary, you know this Messiah that you've been hearing about all this, all this time? You know this Messiah that you and your people have been waiting on for centuries? You know that Messiah that you hear about in synagogue class where you know, we talk about how he's going to be born of a virgin, he's going to be a descendant of King David? Uh, you know, guess what? That Messiah is coming, he's going to be born of a virgin, and that virgin is you. See, that's the announcement. And I don't know if you're Mary, I don't know what you're thinking, but since Mary has become the mother of Jesus, and she's the only one to ever be the mother of Jesus, a question has risen up in the church, which is, how do you treat Mary then? How should we treat Mary? See, in certain traditions, Mary is venerated. She is practically worshipped to the point where people will pray to Mary. Uh, you know, if you grew up Catholic, then you'll be familiar with one prayer that's often prayed in the Catholic Church, which is, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. And see, certain traditions will teach a few things about Mary that are very interesting, that, you know, Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus, and she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. No, that's not what the Bible actually teaches. Is that, you know, Mary actually had kids of her own with Joseph afterwards. And so that's one of those interesting things. Some, some people that say, oh yeah, Mary, you know, after she died, she, she bodily was resurrected again, and she went to heaven that way. You know, the, the Bible doesn't teach that as well. Some even try to say, that, oh yeah, Mary is a co-savior with Jesus, that she's part of, you know, saving people as well. No, the Bible doesn't teach that as well. See, the Bible doesn't speak of any of these things. The Bible teaches that Mary is human, 
like anybody else. She's not divine. She is an amazing woman, though. She's an amazing woman who displays incredible faith and uncommon humility, and God uses her in a powerful way. But she was never meant to be worshipped. She was never meant to be prayed to. When Jesus rose again, ascended to heaven, guess where you can find Mary? She's with the other disciples, worshipping and praying to Jesus. And so if Mary could kind of comment on you know, all the prayers that are prayed to her, she would probably say, don't do that. What are you doing? Pray to Jesus. Focus on my son. See, how should we view Mary then? Here's the thing. Mary was never meant to be the object of our faith. She was meant to be an example for our faith. And in this story, because Mary's example is so powerful here, today I want to tell you three powerful lessons we can learn from Mary about what faith is. If you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find that there's some definitions for faith that are given. You know, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. We can learn about, you know, without faith it is impossible to please God. And, and see, here's the thing. This, you can tell a person's faith by what they say. It's not the only indicator, but it's oftentimes, most of the time, it's the clearest indicator. Your words help demonstrate your faith. And even though in this passage we're reading today, Mary only says three things. She only says three short phrases in this whole story we're looking at. We're going to learn some powerful lessons about what faith really is from what she says. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 34? Would you read that with me right now? Luke chapter 1, verse 34, what does it say? It says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? These are the first words Mary speaks in all the Bible. Now, I want you to notice this. Notice that the first thing Mary says in all of Scripture is a question. How will this be? How will this be? And there's a lesson there for us when it comes to faith. And you can write this down this morning. The first lesson about faith is this. Faith means being open-minded and asking honest, sincere questions. That's what faith is. It's being open-minded and not being afraid to ask honest and sincere questions. See, many people, they think that faith means you have no more questions. Or with faith, you're not allowed to ask any questions. And I'm not here to ask you this. Can you have faith and have questions at the same time? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's only natural. Faith does not require the complete absence of any questions at all. And so maybe you're a Christian today, you're thinking about Christianity, but you've got questions. You know what? It's okay. Turn to me and say, it's okay. It's part of the journey of faith. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, JB, don't you remember what we were talking about last week? Pastor Tim was on the stage. He was talking about Zechariah. Remember Zechariah, JB? And how Zechariah, he's a big old priest, and his wife Elizabeth is super old, and her, her, she's barren. They can't have kids. The angel, the same angel, Gabriel, comes to Zechariah while he's offering incense alone in the temple. And, and Gabriel says, you're going to have a child in your old age. And he asks a question, and he ends up being shut up in a major way and punished by God. What about that, hey? Eh? And see, here's the thing. Let's look at that right now. Luke chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. You're right. That's what happens. Zechariah, he asks a question, and something happens to him. Let's look at it right now. Verse 18, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel Gabriel I answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. See, what's going on here? See, Zechariah 
does not believe what the angel Gabriel is telling him about his future. And so he asks a question that's fueled by unbelief. He says, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> I don't think so. How, like, how, how, how can you be so sure? How can I be sure of this? And in response, the angel Gabriel hears the unbelief in his question. And he says, basically, do you know who I am? Do you have any idea? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And you know what? In the Bible, there are thousands and thousands of angels, but in the Bible, there are only two angels where you actually get to know their names. One is Michael. The other one is me, Gabriel. Hello. In other words, I'm sort of a big deal in heaven, and I should sort of be a big deal to you right now. And if you are, not, are still doubting what I'm saying, even though God didn't send his message by Canada Post, he didn't send the message by FedEx, but instead he sent his own Gabriel to see you and to tell you this message. And if you're still not going to believe it, then fine. But to show you that what I'm saying is actually going to come true, you're not going to be able to speak until this happens. And for the next nine months, Zechariah cannot speak, and it's the most peaceful nine months of Zechariah's wife's life. Maybe. Maybe. And see, the angel, what's going on? Why was Gabriel a little bit upset? Why was he a little bit offended? It's because the angel wasn't offended that Zechariah asked a question. The angel Gabriel was offended that Zechariah's question was fueled by so much closed-mindedness and unbelief. Zechariah is alone in this temple, and this angel Gabriel appears in more heavenly glory than he showed Mary. And it's right, by, right there by himself with Zechariah when no one else is supposed to be there. Obviously something crazy is going on. And still Zechariah, a priest, a leader in God's kingdom, is like, how can I be sure of this? I don't believe this. And see, what ends up happening? What's the lesson here? Well, one of the lessons is, with, with Zechariah losing his voice because of his unbelief, what's the lesson there? Is that when you respond to God with unbelief, when you respond to God with closed-mindedness, you lose your voice when it comes to the kingdom of God. In other words, you lose your ability to bless other people. You lose your ability to point people to God. You lose your ability to, as we say, live out loud and lead others to Jesus. Because when you have unbelief and you're closed-minded about what God can do, God is very, very limited then on what he can do with you. If you believe us, say amen. And see, look, in contrast to Zechariah at how Mary responds. Mary also asks a question. Let's look at her question now. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Look at it with me again. It says, how will this be? How will this be? And see, what's happening here? She's asking not a question based on unbelief. She's asking a question based on faith. She's like, okay, okay, I want to believe this. I think I do believe this, but how will this be? Because I'm a virgin, and, you know, I, I wasn't born yesterday. I know how babies are born, and, and I, I don't know how this is going to happen. And what does the angel say in response? He says in verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit. Church, are you guys awake in this place this morning? 930 service. You guys here this morning? Can you read it with me? It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. See, like Zechariah, Mary asks a question. She also asks how, but her, her question is not fueled by closed-mindedness and unbelief. Her question is fueled by an eagerness to learn, an open-mindedness, an honest sincerity to say, you know, I want to believe this. How can this happen? And see, notice that Mary is not rebuked for her question. 
In fact, she's blessed by the question because she learns more from this angel and from God about her destiny and about this child that's to be born. What's the lesson there? Is that questions are not the enemy of faith, closed-mindedness is. Questions are not the enemy of faith, closed-mindedness is. It's okay to have questions. You can, in fact, experience more of God when you have honest, sincere questions. But when you are closed-minded, then you cannot experience much of God at all. And see, we learn this from Mary, is that when you have an open mind, and you've got a sincere heart, and you've got a humble attitude, the questions in your heart can actually advance your faith. I found that in my own life as well. You know, when I first started college, you know, I was a first year at UBC, and I'd heard all these things coming out of, you know, high school, and, you know, becoming a recent Christian, and, and I, I thought to myself, I've heard all these stories of how in college you just, people lose their faith, how they got so disillusioned by their faith. I really didn't want that to happen. In that first year at UBC, it was one of those years when I grew so much in my faith, where I fell in love with Jesus in ways that I never expected. And then, you know what happened is that after the first year that I had at UBC, in the summer, uh, right after that, you know, I started getting really busy with stuff. I, you know, I, I wanted to serve God, and so I started, you know, serving in different capacities, and, you know, whether it was, you know, leading kids, or, you know, like leading songs, or playing on a band, and I just kept on saying yes, 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 yes to every single person, and it was, to be truthfully, uh, tr- truthful with you, it wasn't simply because I loved serving God, but it was also because I didn't want to, pl- I didn't want to disappoint people. I had a tough time saying no. Have you ever had that issue before? And it's kind of, you just kind of say yes to everyone because you don't want to disappoint everyone, but you don't end up pleasing anyone because you can't really do a good job with anything because you've said yes to everything. Does it make any sense? And, and, and so, you know, I was starting to get really stressed. I started getting burnt out. And, you know, in the process of that, I end up having to, you know, you know, you know, kind of take off certain like certain commitments and responsibilities on my plate and end up disappointing some people in the process. And, you know, that was a bad impact on my relationships. But you know what? That time led to a time of burnout for me personally that led to a really severe bout with doubt in my faith, where all of a sudden, in my time of burnout, I started to doubt my faith and start to, you know, really question so much of what I believed before. Like, how do I know there's a God? How do I know that when I say that God is speaking to me, that that's really God speaking to me and not just me thinking that or making that up? How do I know these things to be true? And it was during that season, I remember once I was even talking with two con- friends of mine who were very concerned for me. They're like, what's happened to JB? Like, what's, what's going on with him? He's got, like, he's, like, become, like, this really, like, staunch, like, critic. And, and, and uh, like, he, just, he doesn't have any faith in him anymore. What's going on with him? And they were very concerned. I remember I was sitting with them in my, my house, in my living room. And while I'm kind of sharing with them all these questions I had and all these things that I was dealing with, you know, I get a call on the landline. There was no cell phones back then. And, and you know, I, I, I got a call, and it was for me. And, 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 and on the other line was another friend that I hadn't spoken to in a while. And she, she just prayed and said, hey, JB, I was just praying for you. And just sensed that I should call you and give you this verse. And you know what verse? I still remember this verse to this day. It's from Isaiah 50.10. And she just shared a part of the verse with me. She said, let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And for me, as I'm listening to this, I think there was a part of me that it did kind of strike a chord. You know, this kind of like, you know, I felt like I was kind of lost when it came to my faith. And it says, you know, let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust the name of the Lord as God and, and rely on his God. But then there's a part of me that was kind of really closed about it as well. I get off the phone. I'm playing, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I, and I go back into the room. I tell these friends that I was talking to about what happened. They have no idea who called. They don't know who that person is. And I was like, you know, that's what happened. They gave me this verse. And they're like, oh, like, 
isn't this just proof that God is trying to talk to you right now? He's trying to get your attention? I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I think it's just a coincidence. You know, it's probably just, yeah, I, I don't think so. And, and, and back then I was closed-minded, and with that closed-mindedness came unbelief, and with that unbelief, it eventually was one of the most depressing seasons of my life. But there's something that kind of never, I never forgot about that verse, and I never kind of let go of some of the questions that I had, these honest honest, sincere questions that I had. How do I know there's a God? How do I know I can trust the Bible? And so it was during that season that I thought, you know what, instead of just kind of being closed-minded about my questions and just kind of leaving it at that and, you know, not touching my Bible anymore and, you know, being reluctant to go to church and all these things, I decided, you know, what if I just actually, instead of sitting on this feeling, what if I actually do something about these questions? What if I actually investigate these questions? I started going to Regent College at UBC, uh, and not as a student, but just like, just like I go to the bookstore, and I look up all these different books on apologetics and, you know, defending your faith. And I went to the library, looked up, like, different atheists, famous atheists, and, and what they said about God, the existence of God. And I started looking up, you know, like, is there evidence for how you can trust the Bible? Is there evidence that the New Testament is, 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 is accurate in what it says? And I started to look at all these things. And you know what happened at the end of a few months of looking at this, at the end of studying different religions, you know what happened? My faith got stronger than it ever became before. And it was because, it wasn't, it wasn't because, uh, you know, I, it would just happen, but it was because faith and questions actually go hand in hand. Is that when you have honest, sincere questions, and you are open about investigating those questions, they can actually lead you not away from faith, but to greater faith. Amen. Amen. And what I learned from that situation is that honest questions are not the enemy of faith. Closed-mindedness is. And see, when you have honest questions about God or you have honest questions about the Bible, don't be closed-minded. Don't be dismissive and go, okay, because of these questions, then I can't go to church. Because of these questions, then, you know, I can't believe. Because of these questions, I'm I'm not going to read anything. See, instead, investigate those questions. Use those questions to help you discover an even greater faith. It's very likely that you're not the first person to ever ask the questions that you are asking. Very likely, someone else has asked them before. If you believe us, say amen. And so, and if you're a Christian in this place and you've got questions, you know what? One thing I also find that's very helpful is don't be afraid to ask the Holy Spirit your question. The Holy Spirit who lives in you can say, God, what do you think of this? Or, God, why is it this way? See, to this day, do I still have questions about my faith? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I still have questions about my faith. They're not crucial questions that are about life and death and salvation and stuff like that. But, for example, there's a friend who asked me about Revelation the other day. And she was asking, you know, oh, so, like, are you, like, pre-millennial? Are you post-millennial? I was like, oh, I just love all millennials, you know? You know, we're, we're, we've got many millennials in our church. We just love our millennials. Oh, so, no, no. But, and, and, and the fact is this. Is it, is it, do I have questions? About, I have questions about that. I do. I do. But am I a Christian who, who, who believes in Jesus? Do I say that I need a Savior? His name is Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. I believe his word. Do I believe these things? Of course I do. It's because faith and questions can go hand in hand if you're open-minded and sincere about it. Amen. Amen. You know, questions are not the enemy of faith. Closed-mindedness is. Turn neighbor and say, don't be closed-minded. Don't be closed-minded. Don't be closed-minded. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Number two, there's one more thing we learn about what faith is from Mary's amazing example. Write this down. Faith also means being okay with God when he interrupts your plans. It's being okay with God when he interrupts your plans, knowing that God is up to something greater. So you want to keep this in mind. At this point in Mary's life, Mary is probably no more than 14, 15 years old. 
She's not a mature woman yet. She's, she's maybe 13, 14, 15, because that's how young women got married back in ancient Jewish culture. Joseph was probably just a little bit older than Mary. They're probably just teenage, they're, they're probably just teenage you know, boyfriend and girlfriend at this time. And you know, if you have a teenage daughter, man, that, that kind of changes your view of Mary a little bit, right? And, and they, they, they probably grew up together in this small town of 40, 50 people in Nazareth. They probably grew up having a crush on one another, perhaps. You know, there's not a lot of options in a town of 30, 40, 50 people, right? And, and now they're engaged and they're excited about getting married and all these exciting things are, are on the horizon. They're, you're making their plans. And that was Mary's plan. If you ask Mary, so Mary, what, what do you hope for the future? So, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting married. I'm excited about Joe, Joseph. And, and we're going to, you know, have, I, I think I'm just going to have a, a simple, normal Nazarene girl's life. You know, I'm going to get married. We're going to have kids. You know, Joe's going to, you know, do well in his work and he's going to work really hard and maybe his business will grow and maybe we'll move to a bigger city so we can give our kids a better education and, and have more opportunities. And, and, and God interrupts all of that and says, actually, not really. Actually, there's something else. And Mary is amazingly okay with it. And see, I got to tell you this. I'm a planner. I love to plan. Those who know me, you know, you know I, I love to think things through. And, 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 and I think a part of the reason why, if I'm, if I'm ever effective, is part of it, I think, is planning. I believe the importance of good planning. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, as Christians, sometimes the reason why we're not as effective in reaching our, our city is not necessarily because we lack the heart, but because we lack careful planning sometimes. I believe in planning. But see, as someone who loves to plan and who holds his plans very dear, you know, I, I can tell you this. I hate it when my plans get interrupted. Oh, oh, it annoys me. Even just little things, you know, when, when like, you know, in, in, the, in the normal day when I've planned out how this day is going to be and then there's an interruption, oh, it, it, it can frustrate me because I'm just so set on my plan. But through Mary's example, you know what, I, I, I learn, I'm learning two ways that I can better handle interruptions, especially interruptions from God. Do you guys like being interrupted? When you've got a plan and you get interrupted in your plan, if it's God who interrupts that plan, does, do you handle that well? Well, these are two things that Mary does that we can do to help us when God interrupts your plans. Number one is this. Write this down. When God interrupts your plans, remember God is in charge, not you. God is in charge, not you. Turn to your and say, God is in charge, not you. Turn to your and say, you're not the boss. <laughs> Unless you're married to that person and, you know, maybe your husband can say you're the boss. But the fact is this, is you're not the boss. Here's the, Luke, Luke 138, what does it say? Luke 138, read it with me. In big, loud voice, what does it say? It says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Would you underline those crucial words? I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. See, why was Mary okay with God interrupting her plans? It's because Mary didn't see herself as the Lord's boss. She saw herself as the Lord's servant. And see, even if it meant that she would have a crazy story to tell that most people would not believe, even if it meant that, you know, she would be ridiculed, scorned, ostracized because people thought she was an adulteress who had an affair and that's how she got her baby, not some Holy Spirit conception, but that's how you got your baby, Mary. She was okay with that, with God interrupting her plans. See, there's even a law that said that, uh, you know, if you as a girl committed an affair or had an, had an affair or committed adultery, is that, is that the leaders of the community had the right to take you and, and, and touch 
tie you to a pole in the public square so people would say, this is an adulteress. And, and you know what? Mary, knowing that, said, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I am the Lord's servant. You know, that's amazing to me. And see, what it reminds me of is that God does not exist for your purposes. We exist to serve God. You know, maybe you're here and you're frustrated with life right now. Maybe you're even bitter at God or mad at God because God didn't do what you asked for or God didn't do what you expected him to do. And if that's you today, I'm here to remind you of four very important words, and I'll say it as gently as I can. It's not about you. It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. See, when God doesn't do exactly what you want him to do, that doesn't prove there is no God. That just proves that you're not God. And see, we are not the Lord's boss. We are the Lord's servants. And so when you see yourself as God's servant, you know what happens? All of a sudden, it sets you free to not feel like you have to be in control of everything all the time. When you know that you're Lord's servant, you're not the Lord's boss, but you're the Lord's servant, you can then, it sets you free from worrying about all the stuff that you would otherwise worry about if you thought you were in control. It's, it's similar to when you are working for someone underneath their leadership as opposed to you calling all the shots and feeling all the pressure yourself. When you know you're a Lord's servant, you're under the protection and the covering and the leadership of someone who's much greater than you, that person is in charge. And as a result, you can relax and you can just say, you know what, I'll just do what God calls me to do. Amen. Amen. There's a certain freedom from knowing that I am God's servant as opposed to I am God's boss. Have you been mistakenly treating God as your servant instead of your boss? Maybe that's why you've been so frustrated. But it's funny, there's a funny, ironic freedom that comes when you realize you're not God's boss, you're God's servant. Amen. Turn your mirror and say, you're God's servant. You're God's servant. You're God's servant. That's the first thing that I find from Mary that helps me when my plans get interrupted. Here's another thing that helps me to know when my plans get interrupted. Write this down. I learned it from Mary as well. Is that when God interrupts your plans, realize that God is showing you favor. See, when God interrupts your plans, it's not a prank. When God interrupts your plans, it's not a joke. When God interrupts your plans, it's not him punishing you and showing you ha-ha, but he's actually showing you favor. It might not feel like favor at that time, but down the road, in the grand scheme of things, it is favor. You know, I've been talking today about faith a lot, but there's another word that begins with F in this passage that is repeated often, and the word is favor. Everyone say favor. Would you look at, look, look at me, or I was going to say, Luke with, Luke, would you look with me? Would you look with me at chapter 1, verse 28 right now? Look together at that right now. One, two, three, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Would you underline those words, highly favored? Everyone say, highly favored. Go to verse 30. What does it say? It says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Why don't you underline that word, favor with God. See, what is favor? What is favor? See, here's a very simple definition for favor that you need to know today. Favor is God's unmerited, undeserved goodness in your life. 
favor is when God does good things in your life that you didn't ask for, that you didn't deserve. Even to this day, we use the word favor with, like, in our friendships, in our work relations. Well, hey, can you do me a favor? And what that should really mean is, okay, I know you don't have to do this. And it's only because you're a really generous person and out of the kindness of your heart. Not because I earned it, but simply because you're you know, really nice. Would you please do this? Can you do me a favor? That's what favor is. It is undeserved. It is unmerited goodness that happens in your life from God. And you know what? There's another word for favor. And you know what it is? The word is grace. The word is grace. In fact, the Greek for it is charis. Charis. And see, like many, many people, they think, you know what, like favor and grace are two things. They're actually the same thing. Mary realized that this interruption from God was not God's punishment. It was God's charis. It was God's favor. It was God's grace on her life. And just later on, when you read verses 46 to 49, where Mary is responding to all that God is doing in her life, she's not like, oh, God is punishing me. Oh, God, he's, he's putting me through such tough times. What's he doing? But no, what does he she, she, she says some. She, she, she sings a song. She goes to, my soul glorifies the Lord. My, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That's Mary. She's worshiping God because she understands that this interruption is God's favor on her life. Hello, favored one. And see, Mary, she had a plan for her life. She's like, you know, we're going to have, you know, I'm going to get married. We're going to have a couple kids. We're going to have a good life together. We're maybe going to move out of Nazareth and go somewhere else. We're going to do all these things. But God interrupts her life, and she saw it as favor because she realized God can do far more than all she could ask for or imagine. And that's why the angel comes to her and says, hello, favored one. That's why. See, and just as Mary was a highly favored one, just as Mary received grace, charis in her life from God that she didn't earn and she didn't deserve, do you know that you, in God's eyes, are a highly favored one too? You are highly favored as well. How do I know? Well, I, 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 I'm sure if you really thought about it, that there are so many different blessings in your life that you didn't ask for that came just because God loves you. Just because God is merciful. It's not because you worked really hard for it. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you deserved it. But God brought it into your life because he's a God of favor. And if you can't think of a single thing that is favor in your life, let, you, let me remind you today that I know you're a highly favored person because guess what? The son to be born to this girl called Mary, his name is Jesus. And he is good news of great joy, not for the Jewish people only, but for all people. Man's plan was that we would somehow find a way to earn our way to God. Our plan was that we would somehow be able to reach God or become like God or get to nirvana or reach enlightenment or you know go to heaven on our own merit when the Bible says we cannot do that. There's no way we can. We are not perfect. God is always perfect. There's no way we can meet his standards even if we tried all that we could. But the fact is this, because God loved us, because he showed you favor, 
because he's a God of Kairos, grace. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and your mistakes, for my sins and my mistakes, to show that even our greatest errors and our biggest mistakes, our most grievous sins, are nothing compared to the love of God in our lives. And so Jesus died on the cross to show us a favor that you can never find anywhere else, in any other faith, in any other place, in any other people. It's because it's all about Jesus. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, to show you how much you matter to him, that even if everything else in your life isn't going your way, you've got God on your side. He loves you. He loves you with an amazing, incredible love. You are chosen, not forsaken. You are who he says you are. And what does the Bible say? He says that you are loved by God. Turn to him and say, you are loved by God. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the grave to show that neither death nor sin have any hold over him. And that's why we can have his favor. And that's why the Psalms, Psalm 30 says, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Come on, give Jesus a big hand in this place because his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. That's why also the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, it is by grace, it is by charis, it is by favor that you've been saved. And so that's why you can say, just like the angel Gabriel said, you can say, hello, favored one. You can look in the mirror and say, hello, favored one. It's because you are favored by God. Turn neighbor and say, hello, favored one. Amen. Amen. See, what's the lesson here? Is that when God interrupts your plans, it's God's favor. God's interruptions are in the end actually God's favor because he has something greater in store for you that you could not do yourself. Maybe you're here today and you feel like your plans have been interrupted. Maybe you're hoping that something would happen in your life and it didn't happen. Maybe, you know, in your business, in your family, in your planning for the future. Maybe you're really hoping that that relationship would work out and it didn't and, you know, somehow the door was closed for reasons beyond your control. Can I tell you this today? God is interrupting your life not because he hates you but because he loves you. And he has something even greater for you. He's protecting you for something greater. Because sometimes God simply loves us too much to let us have our own way. That's just how he is sometimes. And you, you might not feel like it's favor, but just like Mary, you will feel like for generations to come, when you look at it behind, when you look back at your life, you will see if you trusted God and you went to God in faith, you will see that he had a greater plan all along that doesn't just bless you, it blesses the generations after you in ways that are far more than all you could ask for or imagine. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place, because he's a God who's doing greater things than you could ask for or imagine. You know, we, we've shared before in previous sermons, like, you know, I did a sermon on grow around it. Pastor Charlene, you know, shared a, a sermon earlier this year uh, on Mother's Day about our son Caleb and how, you know, there was some ma- major complications with the pregnancy and, you know, they, they weren't sure if he's going to be able to breathe properly and all that stuff. And, and you know what? We prayed. We believed things would be fine. We sensed God say things are going to be fine. Things were more than fine. And at the end, I don't, I've, I've stopped counting how many people I've gotten to share Caleb's story with, you know, who have been encouraged by that story in the midst of their trial. It's because when God interrupts your plans, it's because he's got something greater in mind. Not just for you, but for the people he wants to bless through you. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Lastly, we're going to close today. You know, we've learned a couple things about faith. Let me give you one last thing about faith that we learned from Mary. Is that faith means believing that what is impossible for us is possible with God. 
what is impossible for us is possible for God. Look at Luke chapter 1, 36 to 37 with me. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. What does he say? It says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. See, let me ask you this. Why does the angel Gabriel, look at verse 36. You know, why does the angel Gabriel mention Elizabeth's pregnancy to Mary? Well, one is because they're related. They're family, actually. And by mentioning Elizabeth's situation to Mary, it helps Mary to see that her situation's not impossible. And see, so that Mary wouldn't think that she's all alone, so that Mary wouldn't think that she's crazy, God sent Elizabeth into her life to go through something similar to her and to be her support, to say, hey, Mary, you're not crazy. What you're going through is something I can not fully understand, but I can understand a little bit. And I can imagine, you know, if it was this kind of today, like, you know, like you're going to find that in, in, in Luke chapter 1, just in a bit, and we're going to look at this next week, Mary, she goes to Elizabeth to find out, if are you pregnant too? And I, I could just picture this, you know, like I, I could picture that, you know, if this was happening in real time, like kind of 2018, you know, I could imagine that if, if Angel Gabriel went to Mary and Mary got this news, after the angel leaves, and she's like, oh my goodness, I just saw an angel. I think that's an angel. And, and, and then she's like, oh, and, and she, 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 she takes her phone, she texts, she texts Elizabeth and goes, Elizabeth, Liz, are you pregnant? And then, and then, you know, Liz, she gets it, bing, she goes, oh, and she takes a selfie with her stomach, you know, this way. And like, six months in, right? So six months in, goes, what, what do you think? And then she goes back and goes, oh, man, no wonder. Because on, on Facebook, you're talking about how your grace has been taken away. And I was wondering about that. Like, like your disgrace has been taken away. Like, I, I get it now. And, and I was like, oh, and just, yeah, how are you, Mary? Oh, how are things? Oh, Liz, I got something to tell you. I think I need to tell you in person. You're not going to believe it. And then she's like, well, maybe I can. Because nothing is impossible for God. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand here in this place together because nothing is impossible with God. And see, what can we learn from that is that to help us with our faith, it's not on your screen, but you write it down, is that God, to help us with our faith, he places in our lives friends who are going on a similar journey as you. They might not be going through exactly what you're going through, but they can relate to some of what you're going through and to, to help you know that you're not alone, to help you know that you're not crazy, to help you know that nothing is impossible with God. God sends not just angels, but he sends his children into your life so that you together could do the journey of faith together. It's because faith was never meant to be a game of solitaire. Faith is a team journey. Amen. Faith is a family trip together. And that's why if you're not part of a small group, you need to get plugged into a small group. You know, if you're not part of a small group, you need to get be, be a part of a small group so that you can do life together with others because you weren't made to play spiritual solitaire. You were made to do life and faith together with the body of Christ because that's why you were born. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Let's all stand up in this place. You know, maybe today you are facing some kind of impossible situation where you, where you maybe even said it to yourself, man, like, this is impossible. Man, what are we going to do? Like, this is impossible. Maybe it's regarding your finances. Maybe it's regarding your health. Maybe it's regarding your future. Maybe it's regarding your marriage. And you just, oh, this is impossible. There's just no way. And, and maybe there's something in your life right now that's bothering you so much. Your plans got interrupted. And you're like, oh, this is impossible. Can I tell you this? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And if you would come to God, not with unbelief and closed-mindedness, but we will come to God with an open heart. You come to God with a humble attitude and say, God, what can I learn from this? 
well, God, what, what can you teach me through this? If you come to God and say, God, I'm your servant, not the other way around. If you come to God and say, God, I believe that you have given me your favor, that you're a God of favor. If you believe that it is his grace that blesses you today, if you believe that nothing is impossible with him, then you're going to see greater things are yet to come. You're going to see God use your life not just to bless yourself, but to bless those around you so that when you see other people who are in need, you can go up to them and almost like an angel in normal street clothing and say, hello, favored one. Amen. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. If you believe in the favor of God on your life, give Jesus some praise in this place right now. Come on. We're going to ask the team to lead us in a song. Why don't you turn neighbor on your right and your left. Give him a high five and say, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to lead you in a prayer to respond to God. Today we've been looking at Mary, learning that faith is not about having no questions. It's about being open-minded, asking sincere and humble questions. It's about believing that when God interrupts, it's his favor on your life. It's believing that God is writing a greater story in and through your life. It's believing that no matter how hard things get, nothing is impossible with God. And the best is yet to come. If you're here in this place today and you want to advance in faith, increase in faith, and believe in this direction, why don't you raise your hand to God right now. And as a response to God, just start talking to God from your heart this morning. In your own words, tell him your situation. And with faith proclaim, the best is yet to come. Talk to him about that marriage and say, thank you, God, that nothing is impossible for you. Talk to him about that problem in your life and say, thank you, God, that with your grace in my life, your favor on my life, I'm going to overcome. Just start talking to God right now from your heart. In your own words, just start talking to him right now because he's listening. He loves you. Just talk to God right now. Talk to God right now. Talk to him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Put your hands down. One more group we're going to pray for is those of you who've never received Jesus Christ into your life. Today, maybe this is your first time to ever hear that God loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. His son Jesus, paying for your sins so that you could be forgiven. Dying on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God. How he rose again to give us life. If that's you and you've never opened up your heart to God but you want to be forgiven of your sins, it's as simple as praying a prayer to Jesus. Not to Mary, but to Jesus. We're going to pray to Jesus today. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If that's you, you want to be forgiven of your sins, you want to know for sure you are a child of God, why don't you raise your hand right now to heaven. Just raise your hand right now to heaven. If you want to pray this prayer with us, just pray this prayer with me right now. Those of you who prayed this prayer before, let's pray it for those and with those who are praying for the first time. You can say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I need you. I need you. Thank you, Thank you. For, dying on the cross for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. To pay for my sins. For rising from the grave grave, to give me life. life. Today, Today, I receive you into my life. life. Please forgive me of my sins and make me your child. child. Thank you. Starting today, today, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give Jesus a big hand, a big shout together right now?